Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Avinash. How are you doing today? Very good, Hadi. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Amazing. Let me just start with a quick introduction for our listeners. Avinash Sukwani is the co-founder of Payflow, which is Spain salary advance fintech with the ambition to evolve into an employee benefit platform. And you started uh, originally as a startup that uh, allows salary advances to employers. You don't charge the employee, which is amazing. You levy a fee on the platform. You've raised so far around 14 million US dollars from notable funds and VCs like YC, Force Over Mass Capital, and many more. Avinash, tell us a little bit, what was life before Payflow in Spain? Sure. So for me personally, I started my career working in strategy consulting. So I worked for Boston Consulting Group for around three and a half years. I worked mostly in Latin America. So I was mainly in Bogota office, in the Lima office, and later on in the US from the Miami office, but traveling around the US. And then after around three, four years, I felt like I had learned what I wanted to learn in that job. So I learned to work in a fast pace with very ambitious people to communicate with uh, very high level, C level people in large corporations. And I decided that I wanted to move on to something more impactful, something where I could see my work giving results, like changing people's day to day or, or lives in, in a short period of time. So I decided to move to the startups tech sector. However, I, I didn't really know much about the sector, so I chose to join an incubator, first of all. So I kind of did my research online and asked uh, a lot of people. And um, a lot of people pointed me in the direction of Rocket Internet, which at the time was still a very well-known incubator, especially notorious for copying business models that were good in the US, but still hadn't arrived to other regions of the globe. I did that for around a year, learned how to build a startup from scratch with them. And then after that, decided to launch Payflow with Benoit, who's actually a friend of mine who I studied at university with at MIT, and then coincided with, again, at Rocket Internet. So That's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing this. How did Payflow come to fruition? What made you go that route and not a different idea? What's your ideation process and how did you land the going live with Payflow. Sure. So most people have a, a romantic story about a, a realization. In some cases, it's a true story. In some cases, it's a made-up story. We don't have such a romantic story. Instead, we, both of us being engineers, strategy consultants, and both of us having learned to build startups with Rocket, we used their methodology, right? So we looked for models that were doing very well in the US who still hadn't arrived to other regions. And we found two or three that we thought were attractive, that we thought were interesting, that we thought that we could be good fit for. We looked into those models with numbers in Excel. We used some hypotheses. We built like a best case scenario, worst case scenario. After looking at it with numbers, Payflow was the model that we thought would go furthest. And actually, even further than that, we also chose the country where we launched in Excel. So most people 
start in the country that they were born in or a country where they see a very large market opportunity or where they were living or where their significant other lives or for some of those reasons, no. Uh, we did it in Excel. We looked at all the countries in Southern Europe and we saw the biggest potential for payflow in Spain. And that's how we launched. Amazing. You know, I've been reading a recent newsletter by Lenny. He's very famous for product content. And he mentioned that he interviewed so many founders that 40% of them pivoted. To name a few, Notion started as a no-code website builder. Loom started as a marketplace for companies to hire subject matter experts. Slack started as a game called Glitch. How did Payflow pivot from the original idea to where it is today? We haven't actually pivoted. The model is very, very similar to what we originally came up with. So just to clarify a bit, the model is we have a mobile app that allows employees to get paid whenever they want instead of just once a month. So take for a typical person in Spain who gets paid a thousand euros a month. On the 15th, they've already worked half the month. So they will see in their app available half of their salary. So half of a thousand five hundred euros available. And a normal use case is that they will withdraw, for example, 40 euros or 50 euros, a, a small amount that they might use to go shopping for their groceries or to fill gasoline in their car, something like this, no? to basically make ends meet towards the end of the month. So that idea is exactly the same as when we originally started. We do it in the same way. We sell it to HR. We integrate with the company's payroll software. There's two things that have changed. Firstly is the business model. Because we came from Rocket Internet, we were inspired by the global leader in this sector in the US, a company called DailyPay. And the way DailyPay used to monetize is they used to charge a fee, a flat fee to the user every time they withdrew a part of their salary. We pivoted from that and instead we now charge a SaaS fee independent of usage to the company. So we changed the way we charge and who we charge, right? And then the second kind of pivot we did is in terms of country and geography strategy, right? We always thought we would be a European player, but later on we found a greater opportunity in Latin America. And today that is the main focus of the company. Amazing. So when you charge the employer a SaaS fee, what is it for them? Because I know what the benefit or the value proposition for the employee is they're getting an advance whenever they need it up to a certain limit, I believe, as you mentioned. What is it for the employer in that case to pay a fee? Is it just subsidizing that advance or are you providing some form of features in your software? Sure. So this is like a similar question for any employee benefit, right? If you take like Swile or Gym Pass or some of the biggest employee benefits out there, right? Like from health insurance to life insurance to a meal vouchers, so all of them are the same, right? They're in all cases or even free coffee or free fruit in the office, right? So all of them are paid by the employer and enjoyed by the employee. So our concept is very similar. However, the difference is all those other benefits I mentioned were always created for white collar workers. For those workers that have the highest salaries that are most valuable to companies, right? No one has ever created an employee benefit for blue collar and frontline workers, for the workers that make minimum salary. And the reason all employee benefits were invented was to make employees more like affiliated to their companies, right? So they don't leave. So it's easier to attract talent. In fact, the companies where those costs are largest 
are the blue collar and frontline worker companies because those are the companies that have the lightest employee attrition. Those are the companies that struggle most to differentiate from others. So what's the difference between working at Burger King and McDonald's? Not much because you get the same salary in both, the minimum salary by law. You get no benefits in, in both because no one wants to spend on those kind of workers. And in the end, uh, people choose their job by how close it is to their home. That's the main difference. We are the first time that we allow companies with blue collar and frontline workers to differentiate themselves from their competitors. And that's why companies are willing to pay us. Makes a lot of sense. And in that case, is Payflow subsidizing that advance or is it the employer? So the way it works is that an employer will pay us a SAS fee. That SAS fee, for example, for a company of 1,000 employees would be between $1,000 and $2,000 per month depending on the characteristics of the company. And yeah, we make get that SAS fee. That's our only source of revenue. And then sure, we have a cost base, which we, from administering the advance and other traditional costs of a SAS, and we manage that in our PL. Makes a lot of sense. Take us back to your early days. How did you acquire your first paying customers? What strategies, frameworks, tactics did you employ early on? Sure. So actually, we spent at least six months without monetizing. So here's a little bit of the story. Like first we used to sell it for free to employers and get employees to pay for it. Uh, however, we didn't have much usage. So we did what y, y Combinator taught us, right? Talk to users. We talked to users and we found out that they would really use this tool, but they wanted their employer to pay for it. Then we talked to companies and we found out that they would actually be willing to pay for it. So seems that what we had found was different to what had worked so well in the US for daily pay. So we went through a transition period where we basically gave the transactions for free to all those companies we had already signed. And we started to see very good usage. So then we realized we needed to charge the employers. And that's when we, at the start of 2021, started to acquire paying customers, right? So at that point, we already had around 30 or so clients. So we had some brands that had already trusted us who the process was working for. They weren't paying, but they could give a good reference. They could explain that the tool worked well for them, that their employees appreciated it. And that's what we really leveraged to acquire the first paying customers. The first paying customer was a company of around 200 employees, and they used to pay 99 euros per month. So maybe like 110, $115 a month, which is, as you can see, like quite a bit lower than our current pricing. And they were a company that basically had cab drivers. So they had around 200 cab drivers with minimum wage, little differentiation. And yeah, the start of it all. Amazing. So early on, what was your strategy to get these leads warmed up? Is it a founder-led strategy? Did you hire a sales team? Was it just, uh, you know, cold outreach? Tell us a little bit or dive deep into what worked for you early on. Sure. So in our case, it was um, 100% outbound at the start. Uh, so traditional B2B sales structure with uh, SDRs generating demands and then closers, right? So we didn't yet have account executives. We had myself doing a, a lot of the sales and then we had uh, Fede, who today is our SVP of growth. But at the day, we basically did the role of a, an account executive, right? Yeah. Amazing. So, you know, the, the traditional way of outbound is always written in the books of how to do it. What stood out to you when you applied it? What stood out to you as something that, oh, this is 
much harder than I thought. And were you at any point in time to, to say, you know what, this is not for me, I'm going to quit? So in terms of the first thing, yes, definitely a lot of things surprised me. So I had never done B2B sales myself. I learned on the job by listening to podcasts, reading books, asking for calls with more experienced people and from Fede, who did have 10 or 12 years experience in, in B2B sales. So yeah, for me, a lot of things surprised me, like how hard it is to generate just one lead, how low conversions were at the beginning, uh, how slow sales cycles were at the beginning and how difficult it is to control. Yeah, a lot of things surprised me. Did I ever think of giving up? To be honest, no. I think when we started Payflow, we were extremely, extremely determined and uh, we've had it very tough from day one. So I think we've kind of got this warrior mentality. So when we launched, when we decided to start Payflow, it was February 2020. When we actually had a product ready to sell, it was April 2020 and COVID hit. So yeah, we started with four or five months where we could barely do anything. It was tough to fundraise. It was impossible to sell. We've been through a VC recession more recently. So yeah, I think the mentality is very strong in the team. And I don't think anyone in the in the leadership has ever thought about giving up. Thank you for sharing these insights. Is there any sales tech stack that you currently live by that you automate this process? Any type of tools you could share with us that has worked for you? Sure. So Actually, that's something that did surprise me because there's so many tools out there. We've tried so many different things. Now we've switched CRM twice. We used to have Salesforce, then Pipedrive, and now we have HubSpot, which for us has been the best solution, most configurable without spending too much money. We've tried solutions to automate SDRs processes such as uh, Outreach or Bluebirds. In the end, we've decided against them. Today, we do it again much more manually, and it seems to work a lot better for us. One tool that we couldn't live without is those tools that help you to prospect, to get phone numbers, so tools such as Signal Hire or Casper. Those work really, really well for us, and we couldn't really live without them. And then just like some generalist tools that have helped us to get very organized. So I think the playbooks that we've built in Notion, the trainings that we've built, that we've recorded with Loom and other softwares. I think uh, those have really helped us to create like replicable sales machines. We can get people in very quickly. We can train them very quickly. We can see if they're performing or not very quickly. A lot of them are kind of like handmade created tools, but we haven't found any magic tool that could replace an SDR or replace an account executive or, or anything like that, right? Thank you for sharing this. This is very valuable for our listeners uh, as they're thinking about their process. Avinash, did you show or exhibit any early signs when you were young that you will be becoming an entrepreneur? That's a very tricky one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I have traditionally been quite hands-on and had a initiative. So for example, from early age in school, like I've studied subjects that were not on the curriculum. So subjects that like my school didn't offer and I decided to buy the textbook, uh, learn it myself and sign up for the exams myself. I have been, for example, in signing up for random projects and competitions. Like when I was 12, I randomly chose to build a go-kart or I've signed up for like the physics Olympiads and those kind of things. I don't think I ever did anything in terms of 
leadership. Uh, so I had a lot of initiative and willingness to try different things and that, but I don't think I ever did anything that is precisely like leadership. So for example, I, I've never competed in any team sports. I used to play lots of individual sports. Yeah, nothing comes to mind, to be honest. Thank you for sharing this. You know, one of the many quotes on culture is they say it is what happens when the leadership is not in the room. What type of culture have you built at work at Payflow? Sure. Super interesting point and super crucial. I think for us, the best thing we've done is we built a very strong uh, leadership team. So we are uh, currently a team of 70 and we have 10 people that we consider part of the leadership. So that's quite a, a high proportion. Out of those 10 people, only one has been with us for the company is two and a half years old. Only one has been with us for less than a year. Only another couple have been with us for less than two years. And almost everyone has been there for the whole time, right? So I think one thing that we did well or were lucky with is that a lot of our first hires have grown a lot with the company. Sometimes there's people that are very good for early stages, but they don't work well in later stages. I think we've been very fortunate in that the first few hires we had have all grown very well, um, really understand the culture and way of working of the company. And today, it wouldn't change that much if I wasn't there for two weeks, right? If my co-founder Benoit wasn't there for two weeks. So we get to spend a lot of time thinking about new initiatives, like new products. For example, today, the whole morning, we've we've been doing a brainstorm on what's the next country we're going to do. We've done all the research ourselves independently without disturbing anyone else in the team. And the machine of the day-to-day, -day, it keeps operating. And that's thanks to this leadership team that we've built. And secondly, another thing I wanted to highlight is around value. So it's a very common thing that people talk about. I think that we've taken it to the next level for our stage. When we were around 10 or 15 people and we started to hire a bit more, we realized that we were making some mistakes. Some people were just not fitting in. We weren't comfortable working with them. And then we spent a period of three months actually thinking about those five, 10 people that were there on day one. What was it that used to work so well? What is it that we like about each other? Why do we all have the same ambition? Why are we in the same mood? Why do we celebrate wins together? Why are we angry when we don't meet objectives together? And with that, we created our four values. So it took us a process of three months. We involved almost everyone in the team. It's something that we take super seriously. It's something that every week we give a recognition to someone in the team for respecting our values with a prize, uh, like a champagne bottle. Every time we do promotions, we make sure that someone is respecting our values as well as performing well. Whenever we do recruiting, we always have an interview that is exclusively to test if the person fits our values. And yeah, I think this has really helped to spread around the team the way of working. Amazing. Thank you for sharing the insights on your culture. What is the principle that you live by that has helped you in your journey? One very good principle is that you should learn to do everything yourself at the beginning. So I think a lot of time I, I meet a lot of founders. Sometimes it's because they're older, they have more experience, or sometimes it's just because of a different mentality or, or background. But I do meet a lot of founders that are running, hoping to become managers and be delegating everything all the time. I think that in the early days for us, it's been 
super useful to do everything yourself, like get on the ground, talk to users yourself, do sales yourself, do customer success yourself, even do like user support, some of the most manual tasks yourself. This has helped us to one, recruit much better because we understand what's needed in the position Two, understand the people in your team much better, be able to give them feedback, help them to grow, figure out career paths uh, that make sense for people with those abilities. And three, yeah, like it's just being able to manage and giving better advice, right? Because who's going to be better to explain how to do a role than someone who's already done it themselves, right? So that's uh, something else that I still take a lot of time to do. I try to split my weeks by the departments that I manage. So I try to do one week helping the sales team, one week helping the ops team. And that doesn't mean just joining internal calls, giving feedback. It means also like going on the ground again, talking to customers again. Yeah, like actually helping, right? Because that really worked well for me. Amazing, Avinash. One last question. You mentioned you learned a lot from podcasts. What recommendations do you have for us? Any podcasts we should listen to as early stage founders? I'm going to recommend a strange one. It's called Itnik. The reason it's strange is because it's in Spanish. So I think that this makes it extra valuable for any founders in like Iberia or, or Latin America, because there's all the stories are about startups from Latin America or mostly Spain. And the reason that I, I really enjoy this podcast is because of the hosts, because they are very, very testing in their questions. So if something doesn't seem right, they call it out. They go very deep into numbers. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of times they find the bullshit, right? And this makes the podcast uh, a lot more interesting because it's less what the founder wants to tell and more about the truth. Amazing, Avinash. What's next for Payflow? We are currently in four countries, in Spain, Portugal, Colombia, and Peru. And for the rest of the year, since we entered most of those countries this year, we are focused in growing there, um, continuing to become market leader in all of those countries. So that early next year, we can think about doing another uh, investment round and then choose to go after one additional country. And Vinash, that was a great episode. Thank you for stopping by. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Hadi. Really nice. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers. 